0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devon Neal. In verses uh, seven through ten, the problem of sin is dealt with. He deals with the presence of sin uh, in, uh, in verse. Uh, um, you can see in verse seven, verse eight. He said, uh, "Verse eight, especially if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves." And the truth is not in us, verse ten. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us now i 'll say this again you 're going to find preachers today, including some Baptist preachers who teach that first John one nine is written to the unbeliever when they get saved, that you get, the unbeliever needs to confess i 'm a sinner if we confess our sin, he is sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Uh, sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you'll notice the, the the pronoun we is used in verse eight and verse ten. John is including himself. Last time I checked, John was not an unbeliever needing to get saved. So he says if we he's talking about the, basically mankind, if any person says, I have no sin or sin is not in me, there's a liar they're a liar. So he's saying the sin is present. It's present in our flesh. Paul dealt with that in Romans seven, uh that sin is sins are committed because of sin. Sin is our nature. It is our nature to do so. And so then, I believe this. I believe the bulk of humanity understands that we're sinners. All the religions of the world are man trying to deal with sinfulness. That's really what it boils down to. Uh, And so then, he deals with the presence of sin. And then he deals with the predicament of sin. It creates an enmity toward God in us, and it brings the wrath of God upon us. And, and uh, that 's that's dealt with throughout the scripture. We looked at john three hundred thirty six and romans eight seven and ephesians two hundred fifteen and james four four that talks about enmity, which is a state of opposition or hostility between two people that 's what sin creates between God and man, but of course the purification of sin and we 'll we'll touch on this again tonight in more detail here in just a few moments in chapter two where he 's going to deal specifically with what God has done. To provide for our purification, he speaks of it specifically here as well. But man's solution, of course, is to conceal or contradict, to deny or to cover. Uh, I have no sin. There's no sin in me. Uh, so concealment, we talked about, or contradiction—say I'm not. What I did was not sin. Or yes, I know I sinned, but I'm going to act like I didn't. God's solution, of course, is confession and cleansing. May I say this for the child of God—the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, you think about back to the Old Testament when when someone sinned, there was there was sin offered for the entire congregation. There was a burnt offering offered uh, every year for the entire congregation. But if you sinned and you had the knowledge of sin, the Book of Leviticus provided for you to bring a sin offering because you were conscious you had broken God's law. Every time you did that, you had to come and sacrifice an animal, and its blood had to be shed because every time it was sin. But for us who trust Jesus Christ, the Lamb was already slain once and for all. And as many times as we are conscious of sin, we can bring that to God and say, I, as trusting in the blood of Jesus, am coming to you on His merit, seeking and desiring your forgiveness. Forgiveness is ours and it's unlimited. It is available. It is available to everyone, but applicable only to the believer. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, anyway, the problem of sin. And then we saw in chapter 2, verse 1, John says, I want to explain to you why I'm writing these things. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. It is God's plan for His children to stop sinning. Uh, Romans 6, we talked about it last week, says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Uh, make, 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 I, I want to be clear. Once you're saved, you can sin, but you are not to keep on sinning. So you get a sin in your life, and someone says, Well, thank God 1 John 1 9 is there, because every time I do it, I just quote that. I mentioned it last week. I quote 1 John 1 9, and I tell God, Lord, I sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And there are people that live in certain sins years on end without ever getting victory. What John's saying is, I'm writing these things to you to teach you how to have victory over sin. He's not going to teach that the child of God can reach a state of sinless perfection before we get a glorified body. He is teaching us that you can be perfected in not sinning. You can be perfected in overcome. How many of you know this? And I said this last week. You get a sin and God deals with it in your life and you see it, and you're aware of it, and you go to work on it, and you try to conquer it, and you are failing, and then one day God helps you with His Word. He opens your mind up with the light of Scripture. He deals with you. You realize, I am finally beginning to see this thing God's way, and you realize He, through His Word and through circumstances in your life, has brought you to a place of repentance where you say, God, I'm sick of this sin. I want victory, but you're going to have to help me. And by and by, He delivers you. And it can that can happen in a short period of time. You may battle with it because you're not battling by faith over a long period of time. But how many of you have watched when God gives you victory over a sin? It won't take long before the Spirit of God begins to reveal something else, right? He he is He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You get some victory. You get some maturity in your life. uh, You're you're able to conquer some things. And then when you get that taken care of, God's going to say, now let's go a little deeper. I would say this. God began dealing with the sins in my life that were most evident. Things I saw, looked at, listened to, heard, uh, outright disobedience to my parents. You know what? Sin today that God deals with are things deep, deep down inside of me. Things that have been with me, things that I know are sinful, but you may not know. And what God does, he says, that's sin. And I'm trying just to say, that God's will for us as his children is that we sin not. Forgiveness of our sins, assurance of salvation is not. May I say this? The person that wants to use 1 John 1, 9 as a means to keep on sinning is not repentant. There's a lack of By the way, when should repentance cease to be the attitude of our heart? I think this. When should the child of God quit living by faith? So you got, you got saved by what? By faith? So now, now that you're saved, you don't need faith anymore. You, you got saved. Faith is only there to save you, right? No, it's there to sanctify you. So you had to repent because you'd believe God. It brings you to an attitude of repentance. So now that you're saved, no more need of repentance, right? You know what? We need to grow in repentance as much as we need to grow in faith. I remember when God used 1 John 1 9 in my life and dealt with me to bring me to this decision. When God shows me, and it is clear in my conscience that something I am or something I'm doing is sin, I, by God's grace, will confess it. I'm not going to argue with God when I can see that something I am or something I'm doing is sin. I believe you have to make that decision by faith. That I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to conceal sin. I'm not going to pretend I'm not sinning. When God shows me that I'm sinning, I'm going to obey. First John one nine, confess it. I'm going to obey Proverbs twenty eight thirteen confess it and forsake it i'm not going to belittle it i'm not going to say but it's not a big sin it's just a little one it's a sin that everybody commits everybody my age or everybody in my point of in my season of life or whatever if it's sin it needs to be confessed as you i'm having to say this night we have a tendency to do this we have a tendency to know and be aware of sin in our life but actually not bring it to the lord and say lord you know this is sin, and by the way, confessing sin is naming it. Can I just say that? Confessing sin is not saying something like this in the, the day. Lord, please forgive us for all the sins we committed today. Like what? Some people say I sin every day. I, I, I get some people scare me talking like that. Well, I sin every day. Almost like wow, well, sin every day. I believe you can live in victory on days. You with me? I don't. You should never willfully sin. Now, if you want to say there is always sin present with me every day, fine, I got that. But don't go around telling people, oh, the grace of God is so wonderful, I'm saved by grace. I sin every day. That makes it sound like, "Yeehaw, that's wonderful. No, John said these things, right I unto you that ye sin not. Your goal today ought to be, I want to finish today with a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Isn't that the goal? That's the goal. That's what, that's what, because that's what a Christian does. The pagans who seek to do what they want and get by with it. But Christians seek to please God. That's what it means to be a Christian. I used to be against Him. Now I'm for Him. And so John's saying these things right I knew that you sin not. His audience, he's talking to Christians. He said, my little children. That's what we talked about last week. So obviously, children of God need to be told not to sin. <laughs> Uh, again, Romans 6 1. And so, that deals with the, the fallacy that once you're saved, you cannot sin, or, uh, the, you know, because he's going to say later, whatsoever is born of God sinneth not, but we also understand we're dealing with flesh. So, anyways, audience, little children, and his admonition is that you sin not. Just tell me one other thing. We ought to learn early in our Christian life that God has saved us from sin. Little children, young Christians, Baby Christians ought to be taught God saved you and His will in assuring you that you're saved is that you sin not. I'm writing to you, don't deny you sin. What John's doing is I'm teaching you as a believer in Jesus Christ how to deal with sin in your life. I would say this, if you can complete a seven-day period without seeing, acknowledging, or understanding sin in your life, you're probably not walking with God. Amen. Light reveals darkness, and we constantly it may need, simply need to be an, an adjustment. God saying, "You're getting off here. You you've let that slip. This is an area uh, that you're wrong. It may be some gross sin, some blatant sin, something we know is sin." May I say this? None of this matters. This whole matter of the problem of sin or the prohibition of sin, if we don't get a hold of what's coming next. And when we when we boil down to how we have to deal with sin, it has to do with our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not merely a theory to lay hold of so you can sleep better at night. He is the living Son of God, and outside of Him there is no salvation. And the saved person needs to let the truth of the gospel lay hold of their soul so that we can bring glory to God through holy living. And there were those, as we've been dealing with, who were coming in among these believers and saying, we have a better idea, we have a better way... We have this deep, hidden mystery, and John's saying, no, the problem is sin, and uh, I'm writing to you that you sin not, and he's going to say this, and God has provided for our sin so that we can overcome. My little children, verse 1, these things write I unto you that you sin not, and here he goes. Here, we're going to get into the provision, and if any man sin, what happens if I do sin? What if I do sin? I'm a little child of God. What if I do disobey my new heavenly father? What what do I do then? And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Why do you think he describes Jesus that way here? Because none of us is fit to represent ourselves to God. Only Jesus Christ can be called the righteous. We are only righteous by faith in Him. The only thing that makes me faith, uh, righteous. Look, I want to do right. And I believe there are righteous things we can do. But doing righteous things, as you well know, does not make us righteous. A Jesus Christ is the righteous. And so, he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This does not need a tremendous amount of explanation. We'll probably be done a little earlier tonight than normal. But I want us to see, first of all, the potential for sin here. Who does he say can sin? Any man. And the word in front of that is if. If. So he had said back here in chapter 1, if we say that uh, in verse 8 that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 2, if, or chapter uh, uh, 1, verse 1 chapter 2, and if any man sin, meaning there's the potential and everybody in this room knows it's true that you can sin. But he says here's what's hap- here's what happens if you do. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the father we who we were who believers little children he's using that we again he's writing to the believers and including himself this is the special privilege of the child of god we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous here's the wonderful truth once i put my trust in jesus christ to be my savior he never backs out of that He never backs out and says, oh, you sinned, now we have to start over. That's not the case. He said, look, if we sin, we have someone to defend us. We have someone to represent us before God. We have an advocate. He's connecting this with his command to confess. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On what basis? On the basis of our advocate. It's a court term. That's still a term used in court systems today. We say so-and-so got a court-appointed advocate, someone who knows the law, someone who knows how the legal system works and can represent the accused. That's what an advocate is. It's a legal term. And he is explaining the fact. He says, look, if we sin, uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, And so he deals with the fact that there's potential for sin. Any man can sin. But then that provision that has been made is in the person of Jesus Christ. We deals with him being an advocate. We're dealing with the concept. Or the doctrinal truth. That's referred to as intercession. We say today. The Lord Jesus' ministry on our, on our behalf. Is intercessory work. So if, here's why this is important. If we're not careful. I believe you can go one of two ways. When it comes to sin in the life of the believer. Number one. We can say. Well the grace of God is so broad. And so glorious. That I can go on sinning. And he's not going to get upset about that. Well that's not true. God's viewpoint of sin never changes. It never changes. He never gets lighter on sin than he's ever been. Uh, He has just made a way for us to be pardoned. And once I'm a child of God, the pardon is eternal. But what maintains fellowship is understanding when I've sinned, I have someone eternally in the presence of God to represent me and take me. If I will bring my case to the Lord and say, I have again behaved in a way that's not correct. I've sinned. I have not behaved correctly as your child. God, you know that I lied about this today. You know that I misrepresented this today, and so uh, some some facts that so I was deceitful. You know that I did some unclean, vile thing. You know that I thought an unclean, vile thought, and I not only had it pass through my mind, I entertained it. God, I've sinned. What do we do? We have an, we bring it. We confess it. Why? Because we have an advocate. We don't, we don't begin, because here's what happens. I say there's one of two extremes. Either we become hypocrites acting like we never have any need for confession. So what happens is we, we put on two lives. We are one thing on Sunday in, in church with our shirt and tie and nice Sunday dress on and look spiritual and righteous. And then we're another thing when we're by ourselves or with, with someone else. And if we're not understanding that when I sin, I'm out of fellowship with God, but we don't take it into the dark, we bring it into the light. And you can do that with confidence because you have an advocate. You don't have to fear, because what happens is hypocrisy is rooted in pride, and out of fear of man, we will conceal things from men without confessing them to God, and it festers and grows. We must understand, we have an advocate, someone we must take our sin to and say, you paid for this sin, Lord Jesus, I'm counting on you, Father, in Jesus' name... I'm asking you to pardon me and give me victory over this sin. May I say this, a, a part of your prayer life must be confessing sin to God or you will not stay in fellowship. Because God is going to show you in your, in your daily walk, He's, your whole, His Holy Spirit's in your heart. He's going to say, that's not right. You said that to that person and your statement was filled with envy. And what will happen is, we'll either go verse 8, I don't, I don't see that. I don't think, we start, how many of you know this? When we sin and the Spirit of God begins dealing with us, one of the ways you can tell the Spirit of God's dealing with you is when you're in defense mode. I don't, I don't think it was that wrong. I don't think it was that wrong. And immediately start attaching that to some person, some human. Well, if so-and-so thinks that's wrong, I guess I'll explain it to them this way. And when you are defending something constantly, something you're thinking or something you're doing, just count on it. It's probably sin. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Why are we saying that? If we're convinced it's okay, then go on and enjoy it. You with me? Instead of saying, Lord, and by the way, God has to teach us to recognize his voice when he's saying, I'm trying to show you I can't get along with you right now because you're doing something I disapprove of and I'm displeased with, and it's sin. But it will confess it, he's faithful and just forgive us. On what grounds? We have an advocate. Let's read a few verses on his advocacy. I'll say this one just from, from memory. Many of you know it as well. Uh, 1 Timothy two five. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Only one person can can represent us in the presence of God. Only one. That's Jesus Christ. Every priest throughout the Old Testament, every high priest is a picture of the Lord Jesus. They died because of their own sins. Jesus died because of our sins. And he lives today and he's in the very presence I've been pondering uh, the, 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 the truth of heaven. <laughs> when you think of heaven, often we talk of it like, you know, there's, there's earth and then there's Mars and somewhere beyond there, near Mars probably, is heaven. Heaven's beyond what you can touch in this universe. It is outside of our grasp because all that we can see and touch is touched by sin. You know what is heaven? It is where? It is God's home god's dwelling place and you know who is there at the right hand of the father in heaven is jesus christ and he is there to represent any person who is truly by by faith in his word put their trust in him and he'll represent us to god and defend us when we're accused i've read many a preacher that says don't think that satan accuses you of things you're not guilty of likely is not he has a case He'll come before God and accuse us. Revelation 12 says He accuses us. But we overcome the accuser of the brethren how? By the word of our testimony, meaning our faith, our testimony of faith in Jesus Christ, and by the blood of the Lamb. The point is, I have an advocate who has a right to represent me, and I'm getting, you cannot separate the advocacy and the atonement of Jesus Christ. So we'll get to that in a minute. But Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. And what keeps us from this blessed privilege is unbelief, by the way. When we don't simply just take God at his word, we cannot enjoy uh, either. First of all, you can't obtain salvation. Number two, if you have through unbelief, we'll we'll fail to enjoy it. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know uh, not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's talking about the Lord Jesus. Verse 28, We know that all things work together for good, and then love God to them who are called according to his purpose. Verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even... At the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 25, uh, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know what? This is why the resurrection is so key. If Jesus died for me, that's the propitiation. Okay? He's going to speak of the propitiation for our sins in just a moment. The payment made to atone for our sinfulness. That was, that was Jesus Christ and His offering. That's wonderful. Our punishment has been handed out. But how do we maintain fellowship if Christ is not alive? If the Lord Jesus is not living to represent us at, before God the Father, how do we maintain fellowship? We have no right to come to God in our own, and so then we have an advocate with the Father. I don't want to belabor the point. I think it's a very simple uh, point that when we sin... Because we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as, as I read my Bible, the best I understand, it works like this. the Satan, Let's say Satan's there accusing the brethren. That's what he's called. And he says, you know that in heaven. You know this sin. He names it. And if I've confessed that to the Lord... By the way, it's under the blood, period. But Jesus steps up and says, no, no. He's mine. God, when, when I am in Christ, God refuses... God refuses to see me as a sinner. I'm in His Son. When it comes to fellowship with God, when I, there's a sin in my life, now we say, well, God, God forgets our sins. He does, but that's intentionally. He puts them away in the sense of judgment. But when it comes to fellowship with God, and I have a consciousness that God knows that I've sinned, and I come to God for forgiveness, and I say, Father, I am coming to you, and I did this. Why should He forgive me? Yeah, because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I believe literally the Lord Jesus is Father, they're mine. They've come to me by faith. And God the Father says, then it's, then it's okay. Meaning that fellowship is restored based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Again, I start to say there's two ditches you can fall into. One is we understand we understand the righteousness of God trying to live up to, uh, I believe in the Lord saves you, puts desire in you to do right. And so what happens is we want to sometimes, especially if we're focused on what men think, maintain an image and we get into the ditch of hypocrisy, we're not dealing with our sin correctly, we're concealing it, we're denying it, we're, we're pretending we're not living in sin. The other ditch is to say, well, I don't need to confess sin. I did that when I got saved, and so when I sin, it's already under the blood, and I don't ever practically in my conscience deal with sin. You understand? We never get, if you don't deal with sin from the conscience and get it to who, the person that can take care of it, you're going to continue to live in it. And so I believe John is making it understandable. Look, the basis of your fellowship with God is your faith in Jesus Christ. We have an advocate with the Father, one who has taken care of our sins. We do not have to fear being condemned again. What you need to do is confess it. The advocate will take care of it. Why? We might fear if I bring this to God. You know, if you believe you can lose your salvation, would you want to confess your sin? I wouldn't, not if I believe the Bible. The Bible says if you fall from grace, it's impossible to be renewed again to repentance. If it were possible, I'm glad for this text. We have an advocate who is also the atoning price for our sins. He says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a representative before God, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. The reason he's our advocate is he paid our debt. He can say to the Father, Father, that one's paid for. I can say, God, I just told a lie. God, lying lips are an abomination to God. Unless you're under grace and he doesn't mind if you lie. You realize if I as his child lie, he hates lying as much as he did before? But when I'll say, God, I know you hate lying and I did. And I know that's shameful and I don't want to do that. And I, the Lord Jesus can say, Father, it's paid for. Now, by the way, paid once and for all. So here's the idea. You and I don't go through our, The way you live your Christian life is not an atoning price for your sins. I believe that's what John's trying to deal with. Living faithfully is not a means of paying God back. The payment or the propitiation, the the price paid to make sure my guilt is removed is paid. He not was the propitiation for our sins. He is. So meaning my sins are dealt with today not because I say, God, I'm coming to you. And I'm confessing this sin I committed, but let me tell you about all the right things I did. I mean, we know lost people that are trying to get saved that way, but they're saved people trying to maintain fellowship that way. I'll make up, I'll make up. I did all these wrong things, now let me do all these right things. Look at you'll not get back in fellowship with God that way. You'll have to come and say, I'm still as unworthy to be in fellowship with you as ever I was before, but I trust your son, and I believe that his blood was enough to pay for my sins, and based on that, I am desirous to maintain fellowship with you. I don't deserve it, I am sinful, but he is not. And when you can get a hold of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done for you, may I say, when that can get a hold of you, you will live a life of victory. The key to victory is understanding what my sins cost Jesus. I wish Christians could get a hold of it. We'd have revival if we'd quit looking at ourselves and quit thinking about, boy, I'm doing real good. I've been reading my Bible and praying, great, you've done that which was your duty to do. Well, I'm an unprofitable servant. If I witnessed to everyone I had an opportunity to witness to today, if I honored my father and my mother, does that make up for the 10 million sins I've committed in my life? No, that's merely what every person ought to do. Boy, we get impressed and we think somehow we're in fellowship with God because of how good we are. Now, we, may I say this? You've got to walk in the light to be in fellowship with God. But walking in the light means when I've done wrong, I walk in the light and I'm honest about it. I believe this. Honesty is the key to fellowship. Even between people. I've met people. And, man, I mean, we are different. Personality-wise, we're different. A lot of ways, we're different. But something will resonate where a person's not hard to talk to. And I'll I'll think, why? Why do I have such an easy time talking to that person? I'll think, ah, they're not putting on airs. They're just, they're just honest. Now, some honest people, you can't fellowship with them because they're honest about the things they love and the things they love and the things you hate, and you just can't fellowship. But at least you know where you stand. <laughs> but may I say this with my children, and I, and I, I pray they understand this, I, but I'm just talking about as a human father, I don't expect my children to present to me the perfect kid for us to have fellowship. I just need them to be honest. If there is not a sin my child can come to me with and say, Dad, I am really struggling with this, I would say, I am done with you. But if they hide that sin, now we got problems, right? Look, is there a sin that our children are immune to? Are there a sin that you're immune to? I'm talking about temptation-wise. What sin are you going to bring to God that Jesus Christ did not already suffer for? But you getting a hold of the fact that he suffered for your sins, the just for the unjust will lead you to victory in that you sin not, right? I believe this with all my heart. I believe why John brings it up. He said, look, these things write unto you that you sin not. My goal and God's goal for you is that you not sin. And if any man sin, you've got to remember what is the solution for your sin. The solution for your sin is a person. You have an advocate. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have someone living to represent you to take up your case to grant you the forgiveness you need and get you back in fellowship. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins. For the believer, we know that our sins have been fully and entirely paid for by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. God needs no more payment. So then my fellowship is not based on fear and it's not based on pride. It is based on love and, and, and mercy and grace and so then, uh, we want to make this point before we close. The Bible says he is a propitiation for our sins. So undoubtedly, for the believer, he's the propitiation, or the and that word propitiation. The Old Testament is atonement, means covering, but propitiation is a stronger word. It's the idea of covering, and not only covering but removing. Uh, what when Christ died, he dealt with the sins of what the whole world this one of my favorite verses to combat the false doctrine of calvinism calvinism is is a, an acrostic and it, it when when folks are really dyed in the wool they're laid out like this we believe in the total depravity of man that's letter t you've heard of tulip right um, uh, unconditional election they believe in unconditional election i don't believe in unconditional election i believe you're elect according to the full knowledge of god but Uh, the idea would be he foreknows who's going to trust. You are elect by faith. Your entrance into the elect is through faith. So unconditional election. Limited atonement is letter L. Meaning the atoning work of Christ was for only the elect. That's what they teach. You can check it, but that's what they teach. That the atoning work of Jesus Christ was not for every man, but only for those that God knew would put their faith in his son. Now, when you, I've done this. I've taken Calvinist to John three sixteen, 16. He said, but he said, for God so loved the world. Yeah, but it's talking about uh, the world that he would save. But that's not what he said. I take him to 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, friend, I'm going to tell you something. If you can't believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, right out of that verse... I can't help you. Because at that point, we're wrenching the scriptures to believe what we want to. I'm glad that I can go to any person and say, Jesus Christ has already paid for your sins 100%. They're paid in full. My point is this tonight, and this is what John's point is. Our sins have been dealt with. So maintaining fellowship with God is not by, as um, I mentioned him a couple weeks ago, it's John Piper. He's a hyper-Calvinist. He said, We are not saved by faith alone. We must be constantly killing our sin. We need to be dying to sin. But Jesus killed sin when he died on the cross. The only listen, the only way for you to deal with your sin is go back to Christ's cross. That's what John's saying you must go back to what he did for you. You can never, not when you first get saved and not by maintaining fellowship, you can never get into, I deal with sin by telling God what I'm doing for him. It is always going back to what Christ has done for you. And that is the basis upon which we deal with our sin. As an unbeliever, you've got to come to the place, I can't do anything to to merit God's pardon. As a believer, I can't do anything to merit his fellowship my fellowship is restored on the basis of my faith, of Jesus Christ and my faith in him. And that's it. And on that basis, you can fellowship with God. What disposition does this belief affect in our hearts? If I believe I can only be restored to fellowship through faith in Jesus Christ and maintain fellowship, not only come into fellowship, but maintain fellowship through an understanding that my sins were not paid for by my good deeds, but by the work of Jesus Christ and by his life as my advocate, that that's the only thing that gives me standing with God and renewed fellowship and maintaining fellowship, what disposition does that affect in the soul? Humility. Does it not? Where is boasting? Why why do you have fellowship with God? Because I confess my sins and trust that Jesus Christ has fully taken care of them. Right? Look at Isaiah chapter 57 as we close. God does not fellowship with people that have proven they are good enough to fellowship with Him. God fellowships with people that acknowledge that outside of Christ we have no right to fellowship with Him. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. A person that is heartbroken, may I say, when you and I get a hold of, and God willing, I want to deal with this on Sunday night, we've been espoused to one bridegroom, even unto Christ, meaning our hearts will be loyal to one. When I can get a hold of, and it truly, the, the, when the, the truth of God can lay hold of my heart as to what Christ did for me, when I know that I have offended Him, displeased Him in any way, It will displease me greatly. And I will not want to live with broken fellowship. And As as again, the only way to deal with sin is to say, I I haven't the power to deal with it. Christ has already dealt with it once and for all. And this is where I said last week, those who say, well, once saved, always saved, gives you a license to sin. It actually does quite the opposite. If you can truly understand and believe the doctrines of God's word, it will motivate you to say, you know what? I don't want to do anything. I don't want to stay in any state that is displeasing to God. I'll say it again tonight. I think I said it last week. How soon should we confess something we know to be sin? How long should we wait to get our hearts open to God and open our mouths and say, Lord, this is what I did and it is sin? How long should we wait? Not at all. Um, I was talking to Chris the other day and he was using this as an analogy and so I'm going to use it as such a very simple but good analogy. He was talking to one of his children, explaining some truth. And he said, as I'm going down the road, uh, he asked me, he said, have I sped today? Have I broke the speed limit? I think his child said no. And he said, actually, I have. He said, not intentionally. He said, what happened is I looked down and, oh, I'm going a little too fast. You see what I did, though? I immediately corrected. The moment I noticed I was speeding, I corrected. And he said, you start to veer off. How many of you have driven over the yellow line, double yellow line, just by driving down the road because you weren't paying attention. Now, what's best? The moment you notice that, to just gently correct the wheel or say, eh, and let her ride. <sighs> now, in our spiritual lives, the moment we know there's something that is definable as sin, it's transgression of the law, it was, I knew to do good, but I did it not, it was a foolish thought, that's the moment I need to say, Lord, You know that's sin. By the way, confession is simply stating what is already true. Our confession doesn't make it true. It's our aligning with truth. It's our aligning with the light that's been given to say, instead of arguing with the light that I sinned, I'm just going to agree with it. God, I'm going to agree with that. May I say this, and as your pastor, if you want to stay on track and you want to grow spiritually, you have to get this down. You have to realize that you are going to sin, but if you do, you have an advocate. You have someone that has fully and completely taken care of your sin, and when you bring it to him, he'll get it right and get you back on course and back in fellowship. Does that make sense? We should not be content one moment to be out of fellowship with our God. May I say this? The reason we have lukewarm churches is we have gotten used to having sin in our lives. Instead of realizing our advocate lives to give us victory and keep us in fellowship. And so then uh, tonight we have an advocate who is our atoning price. We lead, read one verse in closing, uh, just to uh, touch back to First John 2, where the Bible says, "He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world." The same kind of language is used in First Timothy chapter four, verse 10, when the Bible says, uh, "For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach." Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Meaning he is the potential Savior of all men. But he is only practically the Savior of those that believe in him. But for we who are believers, we have an advocate who is fully paid for our sin. And he lives not to give us permission to sin, but so we may confess it and stay in fellowship with God and sin not. Amen? That's why he lives, to keep us out of sin, not Give us permission to stay in it.